Hello, I'm Rufus Bird, and welcome to Collecting, a podcast about why we collect art of all types, how it was collected in the past, and what it means to collect today. I hope you enjoy it. Recently, on a trip to New York, I sat down with Louis Meisel of the Louis K. Meisel Gallery in Soho, which he founded in the 1960s. Louis has dealt in photo or hyperrealist art from his gallery, and I visited him to ask about photorealism and his other collections. So I'm delighted to be here talking to Louis Meisel, one of the founders of the photorealist movement. Actually, I invented the word. Invented the word. And I basically now have a monopoly because back in the 70s, all my friends said, how are you going to make money on an artist that makes one or two paintings a year? And they all ignored this great realist, you know, genre. And I started showing museum shows in all over the world. If they were good, they sent I saw them. Anyway, yeah, but now, now my, the only dealers I had, my friends that did handle some, they're gone, and the artists are with me. So. Excellent. So we're talking about collecting, and one of the things I wanted to ask you, Lewis, is that because you've been involved in this field for quite a long time now, and you've been running your gallery for a number of years, I wondered if you could talk about how you began to collect what's your personal your personal journey into collecting into the art world okay well i'll try to be as quick as i can i guess when i was three or four years old i became aware of my parents collecting and at the time my mother had two specific things she was collecting one was called scuttle cups which was an english german shaving mug there's a standard shaving mug but this one was like a little pitcher and the soap went in the top and you poured water, you did it, and then you poured it off. But anyway, scuttle cups, they were 4 or $5 a piece. And Tiffany glass. And we used to go to antique shops. And here I was, three, four, five years old, and my brother then. And when we went into a shop, I knew what they were collecting, because we had it in the house. And I would call my father, under the table over there, I see that. And then I'd walk away, and they would find things, and they'd buy them. So my parents would collect it, primarily my mother. And this was in Manhattan? Uh, it was started off in Brooklyn. Brooklyn, yeah. And then we used to go to Canada and uh-huh. travel up through New England. We went to antique shops all around. Right. And ultimately, we went to New Jersey when I was 12 years old. But always near New York here. Uh-huh. So probably it's in the genes or it comes from that. And I learned to look for things. And then if there were seven scuttle cups or four pieces of Tiffany, we could look at condition. I would learn about rarity. Some things were common, some things weren't, and you learn. So you started comparing objects, looking right. at the similarities and the differences. Right. So as it went on, and I got married to my wife, and she also had that thing, <clears throat> we started collecting things. And the first thing we collected, married, was something called fiesta wear. Oh. And it was made in the 30s, and at the time there were six colors. Red, orange, green, blue, white, whatever. And if you had a setting of six people for dinner, one plate would be red, one would be white, one would be green, one would be blue. And they were a dollar a piece. And the pictures, the disc pictures were $5 a piece. Whatever we started collecting, of course we could. But there was plenty of it. And, and eventually it became nothing very exciting because it was all over the place. And we ended up with 3,000 pieces of it, wow. which we sold. 
as time went on, we refined things, and we'd go to an antique show. You were in the bathroom, and you just saw the Miss America pageant. Yes, wonderful photographs. Yeah. And I saw one at an antique show, and it was a 1933 one, and not to go off color too much, but I was looking at it, and the bathing suits were kind of straight across and sort of thigh highs. Conservative, but then there was one girl. Do you know what a camel toe is? I have heard the expression. Girl. It looks like a camel toe because <laughs> it's, you know, it's, you know yeah, what you're talking about. I do know what you're talking about. No, yeah. One girl had a camel toe. I said, look at that. And I bought it. And then a few hours later, I saw another Miss America. And then I said, you know what? That's really interesting. We can go back in there. I have the first one, 1923, all the way up until the 70s. So over a 30-year period, we ended up collecting every one of them. 1954 is a real big one, and mm -hmm. all the girls are in Nash Ramblers because that was a sponsor. One year, they were all on bicycles. I don't know if you noticed. Another year, they were all wearing sunglasses. So that's a collection. One that will be of interest to you, maybe, being British. You know the name Clarice Cliff? Of course, yeah. Okay. In 1972 or three, I went out to Minneapolis. There was a show at the Minneapolis Museum, and in it were a couple of pieces of Clarice Cliff. And a friend of mine, an artist, had a couple of pieces. And I came back to New York, and next door was the design director for Tiffany's, a guy named John Loring. Next door, he had three or four pieces. And one day, Susan called me from uptown. She says, Louis, you've got to come up. There's a store here, and they have these six pictures, and they're really beautiful. And I go up, and it's Clarice Cliff. Uh, she says, I really like that one. I said, so, you know what? Go take a walk. I made a deal. I bought the six of them. And as we get into the 70s, we started collecting. It wasn't easy to find, but it ran from 1925 to about 1938 when they started making pottery and dishes for the armed forces. World War II was coming. So I said, how am I going to find this? Where did people go? They left England. And they took their Clarice Cliff with them. South America, yeah. New Zealand, Australia, really? Canada. Global. So I got in touch yes. with pickers, antique pickers. And people started sending me things. And eventually, we had a shop next door. We had a lot of things. We started selling. And I must have sold 1,000 pieces. <laughs> in 1983, Christie's is doing their first major auction. I fly over on the Concorde. I get there. There's a line around the block. I go in, and I tell the auctioneer, before you knock down something, look at me. I'm going to be sitting in the middle row there, and I'll nod. So I had 45 pieces that I had determined that I wanted, and I bought 43 of them. Next to me was a couple, young couple, who just got married, and they see me doing this. They said, do you want that next one? I said, it's on my list. They said, well... We really, I said, you can buy that one. Or you let it go. You know, and yeah. then, then there was another couple. Woman was head of DC Comics, and she and her husband wanted one. I said, go ahead. And I come back to New York, and the New York Times, the reporter, the antique, she's a friend. She writes a major article, my Zelda doing this and that. And then we did the book on Clarice Cliff with Harry and Abrams. Mm -hmm. We revitalized her career completely. There were 18 women that were... The paint paintresses, the girls that worked for her in the 20s, yeah. they were still around. We were in touch with them. We had everything. I don't know if you've seen the book. I'll show it to you. So that's Clarice Cliff.
Over the Internet Showcase. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, best, of course there are. That's yes, the I best see. collection in the world. That is extraordinary. 50 pieces. Yeah. Not the biggest. Big, well, but there good are some scale. rare pieces scale. that nobody has. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so, that's Clara's clip. Over there, you'll find... Uh, you want to take this and walk around? Or do you sure, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Go for a walk. Okay. The one of a con. Yes. And over the years, even though we were buying and selling, we kept the best. These are all very rare pieces. This is extraordinarily rare. That's a special piece. The dis the, these pictures here, these jugs are rather common, but they're all painted differently. So that's Clarice Cliff. Absolutely stunning pieces. Very, very brightly colored with rills. <coughs> a beautiful, beautiful thing. I don't know if I have the book here, but I'll show you. And Oh, yeah, here it is. So this is the book we did on Ah, oh, yes, yes. And over here we have... All the different shapes, all the shapes, all the titles, all the names, all the signatures. I see. And here are the women that we interviewed. Yes. yes. Okay, so that's our Clarice Glip. How interesting. Here they are. Yeah, goodness that's me. Really, so that's Clarice Glip. So it has significance. The book. Aesthetically, yes. historically. Culturally. It's hard to find. Yeah, yeah. But you can find enough. But this was... Your interest in developing the collection. Hey, Tiffany, was... that goes back to my first collection. Yeah, yeah I love Tiffany. Yeah, okay. Another collection started yes. with this figure. Ah, yes. Which is Deco statues. Definitely. Over here. Ah, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. In the bathroom, there were others. So I noticed those, yeah. Again, historic 18th century ice cream scoops. Ice cream scoops. Right? And wow, Lewis. the table this, that was in a pharmacy didn't want to take up too much room. Yeah. So we have this pharmacy table. When you were sitting having your ice cream, oh, there was product in here. Of course. And this, this opens up and you would buy. Yes, so, yes. So this is a 32 to the court. This is a... Look, and they're all graduated in size. So most of the stores would have an 18 to the court. Right. That was the but most popular size, was it? Yes, because it worked best. People but, wanted to pay for that size. Yeah. It was the, then you have this one here, went, went next to a banana split. Look at that. Next to a banana. And then these here, this one here. Ice cream pie. This one here, you would squeeze in, and then you'd... You'd get like a sort of rectangular scoop on the scoop. It was about making... An ice cream sandwich because ice cream. you had the vanilla and then you push it out between two crackers. <laughs> That's okay, great. So that was the ice cream. That's scoop. great. I love and it. And then there was the one that would make a half a scoop. Wow. This one to the out. Yes. Anyway, so there were all sorts of reasons to collect, and we have pretty much what there was. Okay, so that's ice cream scoops for the fun of it. But that's other people didn't. Maybe they have one or two because they liked ice cream. I have other collections, and there's one here that would be kind of interesting. I have the best collection in the world <laughs> yeah. of vintage porcelain and steel cow signs. Cow signs. That is quite a, quite a, a claim. Oh, right. I'm they gonna, were on a farm. I'm going to see if I can find a bigger collection than this. That's a challenge. I'm not going to doubt you, but that does look spectacular. Look at that, Hereford's. Yeah, milking short horns, Pleasant View Farm, Holstein Friesland. Look, I mean, just man. I mean, who would here they, here they are. I mean, who would do it and why? We started. Yeah, yeah, the first yeah, one yeah. was this one, which is really a very rare. Everybody's after it. But once we had that for three hundred dollars back then, yes. and now it's thirty thousand. Really, and I never knew well, there was such a market in this. There's no. Sure. I don't know if there's a market. If there is anywhere, but. 
It's something that interested yes. us. There yeah. was aesthetics. Yes. There was history. Yes. There's a reason for that, it. Absolutely. That's what interests me. And other me. people might have one or two, but nobody made a collection like yeah. that. So tell me, I mean, you've given us a really interesting survey now of the areas that you've collected in. From the Great American Pinup, you had the um, Miss America contest right. photographs, the Clarice Cliff and the various sculptures and so on. But what, so what is it, you just referred to it there, I think, with the science. What are the key elements that you see within the, the collections that you have built? You know, what is it that links all of those together? You mentioned aesthetics. Is that what has brought the, you to those the what? aesthetics? Oh, yeah. So, well, first of all, I have to like to look at everything that yeah. we have. Yeah. <clears throat> Whether it's Tiffany Glass or... Obviously, the pinups, the Claris Cliff, there's aesthetic. So, aesthetics count, Hist history, historic history. value. Yep. Deco was historic. Yes. There were very few Deco artists and things. Deco came out of Britain. Yeah. It was mostly France, Germany, Switzerland, a little bit Italy. Uh, it's historically important. It's aesthetically beautiful and interesting. There's enough of it with Claris Cliff that you could build a collection. And yet, it's not overwhelming. Every antique shop you go into, you don't find it. Mm. So, in the course of a year, a normal collector could find 100 pieces. Yes. So, uh, the accessibility of a collection. Accessibility, that's important. Um, quantity. Uh, and then, when you're collecting, you probably don't want to collect what other people have been collecting for centuries and cost hundreds and millions of dollars. Yeah. I mean, that's the going to, against the grain. You have to start where, I mean, where you can afford it. Mm. And the first things we collected cost a dollar. Mm. <laughs> and the deco statues could be ten, three, four, thirty thousand, ten thousand dollars or something like that. The pinups when I started collecting were three to five, six hundred dollars. Yep. In nineteen ten, around that period. Some of them got to be a quarter of a million dollars. Mm -hmm. The most important was Gil Elvin, the best ever. Right. Vargas was also important, yeah. but Vargas didn't do oil on canvas. He did watercolors and he did illustrations for Playboy. Yes, you just showed us one around the corner. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Elvgren's were oil on canvas, uh -huh. so they, they, they lasted better. And back in the day with the pinups, a lot of it was done for calendars and for advertising and even for illustration of magazines. Yeah. And people didn't buy them in the galleries. They, they, they didn't respect them as original works of art. And if you had a calendar in your business and Elvgren was on the calendar, the salesman that you ordered 5,000 calendars from would come to you and say, gee, Mr. Smith, would you like the painting that's on Oh, the calendar? original. Ah, I see. Okay, see. so now he would bring that home, yeah. the oil canvas, and his wife would say, what's that? <laughs> Why have you and got that in the house? Her, and she'd say, I don't think the minister's going to like that. <laughs> and it went in the attic where it went in the basement. But with the things that were watercolor on paper or pastels, which a lot of them used because it was quick, mm -hmm. they deteriorated. Yeah, yeah. They disappeared. So then there becomes a rarity value. About so, that. and the Varguses, you know, they just weren't in the, there were there were conditions problems with them. So Elgren, who was the Old best. Oh, Canvas, yeah. Probably the better preserved. And, and they yeah. lasted, and my book, right, Elgren has about 500 pictures. Yeah. And I imagine 350 of them still exist in the world. Yeah, yeah. It's not a lot. No, it's sure. So, so, so that, so the, the accessibility, yeah. the aesthetics. So there were all sorts of things, and it's not like I made a list and figured it out. It's just when I started looking at something, and decided that let's collect it. 
There are a lot of factors that came in. Number one, we like to look. Got to like it. Yeah, absolutely. Number two, drawn number two, it was a challenge to find enough yeah. of them. And, yeah. and by the way, in the Hamptons, I collect beech trees, I told you. That. Oh, beech now, trees. Why beech trees? When we bought the house, it was on an old farm field. There was not a blade of grass. And my wife wanted some bushes. And we went to some nurseries out there. And here were trees in balls sitting you know, in the nurseries. That's a fantastic sight on your iPhone. It's just like looking at the, 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 the cow panels. Yeah. What was the goal? There are 40. How many can we get? Mm-hmm. There's beauty. There's different historical interest in beech trees. So that's a collection. That's a, absolutely, yeah. So you've told me now quite a lot about why you collect, and I can see exactly how you've brought together these very disparate groups from trees to Claris Cliff to, to, to pin-up, collections of pin-up. But what about other people? Why do you think other people collect? You know, we, we know about museum collections. We know about, you know, private collections, you know, all over the world. Well, what museums, obviously, and theoretically, are supposed to collect to document history. Okay? So if they determine that were, there were 20 impressionist painters that were important the museum decides to have one by each <laughs> and if they did different subject matters like for instance some of the photorealists one guy does motorcycles and storefronts so with blackwell you want a motorcycle and a storefront mm-hmm. why do you think people what's their motivation i mean okay. i can see that there's a lot of people do interested in and it used to be because they like what it looked like or they saw it in somebody's house, oh, I want to have that. Interesting. Why do you, you think know? that is then? Well, a lot of times, maybe even for myself, I'm not yes. sure what I had seen in somebody else's house where I said, gee, I want to collect that too. And then looking around, I don't know, because I seem to be ahead of everybody on the things that I collect. Yes. But people copy what other people are doing. Mm-hmm. Yep. People will go to museums and see something and say, gee, I'd like to get one. Do you think that's a sort of... And some people, of course, have the same ideas that I have. There's a sort of fashion element to it, perhaps. Is yeah. that what it is? If somebody has something and then they want to eat, they want to be like somebody else or they like. Yeah. Perhaps they hadn't seen it before. They'd been introduced to it right. by somebody else. Well, they... Same thing with me. I saw it in my artist's house. I saw it in John Lawrence's house yeah. next door. I saw it at the Minneapolis Institute. And then when Susan called me up, there they were available for sale. I was already sort of familiar with what that is. Yes. And I said, you know, let's start. Well, life as a dealer in, in photorealism, and you've obviously put together, sold a lot of paintings and worked with a lot of collectors. What do you see in their intentions to bring paintings together? I guess people would come into my gallery and hear me talk. Okay, okay. And you so know? you explain the, the, the concept behind photorealism, yeah. and that's what you yeah. get. I grew up with the abstract expressionists. Yeah, of course. The 50s yeah. into the 60s, yeah. mm-hmm. and a pop artist. I represent Stamos, who did that painting over there oh, yes, until yes. he died, uh-huh. the abstract. Yeah, the I represented Mel Ramos, oh, yeah. and I still have the best collection of his work in the world yeah. here. But there's 10 of them in the loft up here now. But then when I got time to open my own gallery at the end of the 60s, when I was in my late 20s, I had to find my own way. And I, I, I had gone from abstract to pop, which brought imagery back. That led to a lot of artists called the New Realist, about 100 that mattered. And towards the end, I started seeing realism was going beyond anything that was ever done before. And they were using the camera, 
and they were gathering information with the camera, which in reality artists had done ever since. So Vermeer. It was invented, yeah. but they denied it. It was against the law. Yeah. It was against the rules. It was cheating. Well, here were the photorealists, and there was Richard Estes and Chuck Lowe. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And Aubrey Flack yeah. and Charlie Bell. And I said, these guys are terrific. And I started showing their work in my gallery on Madison Avenue. And a critic came in one day in 19... 19- Gregory Badcock, and he said, Lou, these are really terrific. He says, the art world's going to hate you, and they're going to hate it. Number one, nobody needs a critic to tell them that this stuff is great. Yeah. So the critics aren't going to be behind it. What do you call them? I said, the greatest realist. Then we went back and forth, and I said, well, they're using the camera, and they're not denying it. As a matter of fact, they're saying it's a tool, photographic. Anyway, that weekend, he runs an article, Mizell is showing photorealism. The middle of the 70s, I had a very good friend. I don't know if you know Izzy Brachot. Izzy Brachot is a fourth-generation art dealer in Belgium and in Paris, in, in Brussels and in Paris. And he and I traded shows. His father represented Magritte and a lot of the Belgian surrealists. So we did an exchange show. I showed the surrealists here, uh-huh. and he showed the photorealists. He said, you know, Europeans aren't going to understand that word. And we went back and forth and we came up with hyperrealism. Selling to your collectors, the customers of your gallery, do you find that they themselves are wanting to build a collection, you know, perhaps not in the same way that you have built well, a collection? Well, some of them, there's a guy in Boston, there's another guy in L.A., they just like me. I mean, they want to have the best collection in the world. So they call you up and say, I want an Estes. What's your way? Where do well, I find more it? more likely they'll come in yeah. and... Talk to you. you. And I have a website. Of course, back then there was no websites. But yeah, they'll say, can you get me one of these? First of all, they know what I represented. I didn't represent Estes. He was with another gallery, but the gallery was a good friend. Uh And while he got four paintings a year, I got to sell two of them. Okay. And in 1983, he called me up. He said, look, this is one of the biggest and best Estes ever done. You should buy it and keep it. It was 300000 A lot of money back then. Yeah. I bought it. I still it's have fantastic. It. Yeah, it's beautiful. At the moment, beautiful view of the Lincoln Center. Yeah, at, and I would say that photo. I, I have built just about ninety-five percent of the best photorealist collections in the world. There are people that bought other places and other ways. There's a guy in England right now that has a major collection of over hundred pieces, but he bought them all at auction, and he had no sense of quality. No, really. Mostly bad, yeah, yeah, because people yeah. don't sell it at auction, and what does come up isn't particularly good. Yes, and yes. it was cheap, so yes. he has that collection, but yes. it's not. So that's I am now at present building the best collection in the world for the Smithsonian American Art Museum. Right, they got the first eighteen paintings this year. They're going to get another dozen next year, and they said no one will ever have a bigger or better collection, whether it's museum or private. And it's a key part of American American. 20th century art history. So it's it was. absolutely crucial. Now, in the, in the digital age, meaning artists that are able to use computer and yes. the digital camera. So Estes could take a roll of 24 or 36 shots. And it cost him money. Oh, it's very expensive to develop, to right. buy the film, develop. And then he would go home and he'd work from it. Yeah. And there was just so much information that those cameras could gather. But the new artists have digital cameras. Unlimited. They can take... Millions of pictures, right, yeah. and they have computers where they can put it all in and take the best part from here and this person from this picture and put yeah. it over there. And then 
make a blow up other and and paint from that so the advent of digital technology has must have transformed the process of actually creating yes. these right the selection of objects and the selection so of materials again yeah but i showed yeah, you the one it. downstairs if you walk up to that painting so that's it's abstract yeah, it's yeah. all little marks yeah, yeah. well that was the chuck Close. i remember when i first encountered chuck Close, that whole well, of, uh, his first of, of, one was of my wife, uh, Susan, yeah. up there. Yeah. Upstairs, yeah. have the best collection. By times five, a photorealism works on paper. Let's go upstairs. Fantastic. Let's do that. Thank you. So, here we are. Ah, a whole wall full of yeah. works on paper. Photorealist. Oh, yeah. This is Estes. Yeah, There's that's no a, detail. It's an illusion. I see. Yes, it's a reflection you in a, what's a glass shop window. Yeah, it is. And it's almost it's abstract, abstract, isn't it? It's Venice. How close. Very interesting. That's the one where you experimented to work with only red, yellow, and blue. Ah, oh, right. So you would red, blue. Yeah. Here's the yellow and red mixed. Artists have painted art horses all through history. Nobody's ever painted anything better than that. And that's just a watercolor. His canvases are terrific. Amazing. That's a very fit-looking horse. The only true woman photographer. Raphaela Spence. The original was all American, except for John Salt, who was British, but he spent 30 years here. His career was in America. Yeah, this is spectacular. And she I mean, this, this is a Latter-day Canaletto, isn't it? She was it? 23. It's riffing off Canaletto completely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty certain there's an exact same view. It's the view from the Rialto looking down the canal. I mean, yeah. and look at the, the different colors of the tiles and everything. I mean, indeed. So he's the only career length. Audrey Flack. Very famous, but she did 40 paintings in 10 years in the 70s. The other women did 20, 15, 30, and then let it go. But there were reasons for that. A lot of people reasons. People said, well, how come there aren't any women photorealists? I said, you know, there were some. It's a different time. It was yeah, different. yeah, yeah, fascinating. That's a John Salt over there. Oh, wow. He was British. He lived here in Soho for that is marvelous, isn't many it? years. That is really marvelous. And everybody had their own 74. technique. He painted through stencils. And what kind of car is that? That's a, that's a Chevy. A Chevy, yes. Yeah, and that's upstate New York. Oh, yes, I can see the emblem there. And the Catskills. Here's an SD, basically a study in Japan. Wow, thank you. That's fantastic to see. Down the tunnel. Yeah, I'm going to head on down. In addition to photorealism, yep. I had another movement called Abstract Illusionism. Oh. Um, this is Jack Lembeck. He was one of the leaders. And it had to do with abstract painting with an illusion of third dimension. That's enormous, that painting. And then that's over there, figurative. Yigalo Ziri, number one, figurative photorealism. Fantastic. <clears throat> and the blurred backgrounds and foregrounds add to the illusion of it being a photograph. This girl... He's Israeli. Uh -huh. She's a member of an agent at Mossad. Oh, is she? She's and a Mossad met, agent. When I met her, I said, I bet you don't have any trouble getting secrets. <laughs> I bet she doesn't know. <laughs> the way she's looking at you. Just a couple more questions. What opportunities do you think there are for collectors today? Now? Yeah, in any, in any field, really. I guess if I wanted to, and I said I'm 81 and I have 100 collections and thousands of things, if I started going around to antique shows again, not that there were that many anymore because you had eBay and all sorts of things and nobody does it, they go online, I could probably find something that was worthwhile. Do, do you see any areas you think, oh, you know, someone should really go into 
I can't numismatics give you that. or nope. I don't know antiquities or you know well first 20th of all, century bronzes. I for don't somebody know. new, they got to find something that's affordable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and you you don't want to, in theory, collect what other people have collected before. But now there are so many things. That's true. I've noticed. You know, this. it's going to be hard to find yeah. something because you mentioned accessibility, aesthetic, accessibility, you know, the fact aesthetics. Yeah. Historical, historical connection. Yeah, uh, yeah, important. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know how I would think about it today. No, no, I don't no. have any answers for that question. Okay. What about so where do you go? Which museums and galleries? Obviously, we're here in New York City. Where Since do you COVID like? Where I do you have, like to go? What's your favorite sort of place? Back in the sixties and seventies and eighties, one day a week I'd go to all the galleries on Fifty Seventh Street. Another day, the next week I'd go to all the galleries on Madison Avenue. Uh, another week, I'd go to all the galleries in Soho. I haven't been to any galleries or museums since before COVID. Have you not really? You don't go to the Met, or you don't go to you uh, know no you interest. You haven't been to yeah, Frick I, Madison, for instance. Hmm? You haven't been to the Frick collection, Frick no. Madison. Not your thing at all, I know. But uh, you know, the Met. Susan went up to the Met to see the Manet or the whatever Monet. There was a show, <clears throat> but there's a director there, and all these directors they're talking about. Oh, we have to show indigenous people, black artists, women, transgender, sure. and it has nothing to do with whether they deserve it or not. It's what they are. This is a fancy question. What single item anywhere in the world, in any collection, would you want to have in your collection and why? Oh. I don't know, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, for instance, but I want to know why you would want it. Or you could have, I don't know, Jackson Pollock, one, number one, you know, if you want to. No, no. You know. I, I, there's no way to answer the collect that because I almost have everything that I ever wanted to have. If you ask me what's my most important favorite painting, in, or, or, in my collection, it's that painting of marbles over there by Charles Bell. Oh, really? Yes, the marbles. I mean, Charles the Bell. difficulty yep. and the, the magnificence of it and everything else, it's my number one painting. Number two, the big Estes that I showed. Oh, yeah, that is there. a very, you know? I like the Estes, um, definitely. You can but, see why you'd have that. But what is it out there that I would want to have? People say, what car? I had Ferraris and Austin Healy's and Lotus Elises and other cars, is there a car I want? I mean, I've no, there is, if, if there was a car I wanted, I'd try to find a way to get it. But no, I don't want anything. Yeah, yeah. I don't want, I don't, uh, there's no clothes, there's no this, there's no that, and there's nothing out there. I have so much. Yeah, I can see, with you have. That I'm not looking Well, for that something. is a very contented collector. I think I that is. I can't even think of some work of art that I don't have that I would like to have because I have equivalents. Yes. And beauty and everything else. And that's a question. I, there are very few questions I can't answer and I couldn't answer. That's a, well, that to me sounds like you've spent a very, very happy life building up wonderful objects that you interested in and love and had taken great pleasure in collecting. Well, that's the same girl. Is that how I noticed her? She's the Mossad yeah. agent. I can Shelley. I can see she, she, she would definitely get a lot of secrets. But she's <laughs> actually in charge of some weapon systems. That's opposed to Sounds absolutely terrifying. <laughs> Louis, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. And thank Hope you, you very much indeed for your time. It's been a really, really interesting conversation. It's thank you so much. I have fun doing. I don't get enough time to talk because people don't come in. Really, really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you very much. That's it for now. Thank you for listening to Collecting. I hope you enjoyed it. 
Thank you to my brother Felix for help with editing and for writing the music. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.